calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hello and welcome to another IGN UK podcast. It's me, Simon Kiley, with Matt Perslow. Hello. Jesse Gomez. Hi there. Hello. Let's get some funky energy going today. I want I want us not to even be on the rails once, let alone go off the rails. I want us to start <laughs> off the rails. Okay. Um, how, how have your weeks been? You know what, they've been, been pretty right? good. Pretty good. good. Oh, well, isn't that lovely to hear? Um, what are you going to be watching this weekend? Oh, uh, well, tonight I'm going to be watching Banshees of Inisherin. That's really Ooh. good. Mm-hmm. That's a very, very I, good I, film. I did enjoy that film quite a bit. I'm going to talk about some films I've been watching recently later. But first, there's a TV show that I'm sure a lot of people will be watching this weekend slash Monday in the UK. And that is HBO's The Last of Us, based on a little video game called The Last of Us. Um, you guys have both watched episode one, is that right? I've, yes, I've not entirely watched episode one, but I've seen okay. bits and bobs. Fair enough. I am fortunate enough to have watched the entire season. Um, I've reviewed it for IGN and gave it a 9 out of 10, which means it is amazing, because I believe it is amazing. Um, yeah, this show is, I think, everything I hoped it would be, pretty much. Mm. Uh, it is faithful, and it captures the tone of the game and the ca- captures the characters of the game but it also does what i want from an adaptation which is give me a bit extra and actually tell me almost like in a way if you think of it almost like dlc it's almost Mm -hmm. like giving you an extra couple of dlc chapters in the middle of it um i mean like you wouldn't just want it to be exactly the same right because you could just go and watch a let's play on on youtube (laughs) like exactly you you literally made a let's play of the last of us (laughs) that's true actually exactly (laughs) it would there would be no benefit to anyone from that would there except that more people will watch it. And I think, you know, that is obviously one of the aims of this show is to get a lot of people to watch it that wouldn't play a game. Go, but, um, going going forward, I don't know if there's an answer to this, is is the extra stories told within this show now mm. what is considered, like, what actually happened in The Last of Us? Or is it like... What being... is it like? Is it official canon? I think they're I just separate. So. Okay, yeah. No, I don't... They can't really be. They're because... two separate things, aren't they? Like, the ones yeah. the TV show, the ones the video game. Yeah, that's true. Exactly. Like... Yeah, the game story will carry on. Like, 
And that's like this first series encompasses the first game. Mm. Like if you know the story of that first game, you're gonna know pretty much what's coming, but it does deviate. So you know, the A to B is not necessarily gonna be different, but what happens along the way, you're gonna meet new people, you're gonna hear different sides to people's stories and there is, I will say, like the Bill chapter is is one of the best hours of television I've seen in a long time, and what they do differently with that one is, I think, very very good. It's it's one of the only, you know, because it's a very the the world of The Last of Us is a very dark world. Like it is, it doesn't offer you much happiness or light. And I suppose during the game you get that because you get the little quips from Ellie a lot, you get the jokes, and just the actual playing the game at times can give you that like rush of fun mm. if you know what i mean whereas if you're just watching that for like 10 hours or whatever it is <laughs> it would be just a descent into just hell essentially so you do need those like extra little like peaks of hap- like relative happiness yeah. <laughs> bordering on you know slightly nice melancholy um that the show does offer you so i like what they've done there in elements but I think before we, like before we delve too deep, we're obviously not going to spoil it. Just in case you are someone who's watching this show and hasn't played the game, the performances like I think there's only one place to start, and it's Bella Ramsey as Ellie. She's absolutely extraordinary. I obviously have only seen the first episode, but mm. the fact that within about four minutes of her being on screen, she's captured kind of everything of who Ellie is in about the first three hours of The Last Mm. of Us. She's got that kind of almost feral child's nature, (laughs) like the way that she kind of leaps around, the way that she's like, she's very, um, obviously incredibly sweary, which is a a factor of the character. But she's got, considering she has never played the game, and I guess this is testament to just like the writing carrying on that character, I would have said that she'd sat and analysed Ashley Johnson's performance for hours <laughs> because she captures that character completely mm-hmm. true to who Ellie is. She she's incredible for her as well. Like the things she has to like do if you know that story, she goes through the ringer of like every different emotion possible and yeah, she she's amazing. Pedro Pascal also very good. Has nat- as as Joel in the first story less to do mm. like uh, I think range-wise mm. like He's he's very stoic. He's very like he's what you expect from Joel. He's just very, you know, ruthless, but also warm when he needs to be. Um, he's the one yeah. that's more broken by the because he's had to go through so much, right? Whereas Ellie is young and still hasn't mm. had like the life wrought out of her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what about I mean, um, he... Nick as Bill? Because when I remember hearing that he got cast, like I wasn't sure because I only know him from Parks and Rec. Really? Oh, I. I I just thought like look wise he was perfect mm. like I thought he'd because like if you think about like his you know I'm not going to say what they do with his role but yeah. it's complete like throw out what you know about him from the game basically it's not it's not going to be the same as that okay like, and he he's brilliant and Murray Barlett who played Armon the first uh, the hotel manager in the White Lotus season one mm. he he plays Frank in it and like those two together are absolutely astonishing um yeah but like. Maybe we'll talk about a bit about the first episode because we're not going to, again, not going to spoil it, but like that's kind of perfectly encapsulates what they're trying to do with the series, I think. Like they catch you off guard with a cold open that's just nothing to do with the game. And you're like, okay, we are. And you're almost instantly reminded, oh, this is Craig Mazin who mm-hmm. did Chernobyl. And 
that is just a good sign, isn't it? Because, I mean, it is funny because people think like he's this incredible like TV creator, which he is because he created Chernobyl. <laughs> but before that, he made like Scary Movie three and four. He's got a bizarre <laughs> filmography. Um, what I will but, say yeah. is that that cold opening kind of reminded me a bit of Watchmen. You know, there's mm, the, um, yeah. I don't think it's a spoiler to say that like the cold opening is an interview situation. No, from like the sixties, like basically warning people. Of, mm-hmm. A, p- a pandemic yeah, could happen. Yeah. Like, it's people theorising what could happen, but it reminds me a lot of there's a TV talk show section in Watchmen where they're theorising like what might happen with the Cold War. Mm. And it kind of reminds... It's like it sets up the fact that like the Watchmen story is constantly like overhung by the threat of the Cold War, right? And the loomingness of all of that happening. And kind of like I really like how he sets up the loomingness that whilst you then get a segment that's set 20 years before the events mm-hmm. of The Last of Us, which is obviously, you know, the stuff with Sarah in, I like it that you've got this looming kind of dread over it that you know things are going to go bad. Yeah. And all of this kind of like, you know, it has an element of domestic, not bliss, but domestic life going as normal for the first kind of chunk of the show. Yeah. And I love that you've got this kind of like, element that you know from the very start of it that you're like how long is this gonna last yeah, and when like is the breaking bomb point? yeah yeah mm-hmm. it's it's brilliantly done it almost reminds me of uh the start of fallout 4 yeah yeah <laughs> in, a, in a weird way mm-hmm. um but yeah that first episode is brilliant they kind of just yeah it takes you through the, the start of the game but like in and you see things you spend more time with people that you didn't get to in the game mm. and that does build the connection further and then you do get the gun punch that I suppose most people know is coming but it still does hit you even if you know exactly yeah. what's coming oh yeah like, I was I was tearing up a bit at that like <laughs> it's a very it's very powerful in in the game uh and mm-hmm. I'd say that scene is replicated pretty much one-to-one in in the show like the thing I like is the you know both Mason and Druckmann understand what are the bits from the game that you do do one-to-one and what are the bits that mm. you expand or change or morph? Yeah. And they know kind of like, there are just certain scenes that were written perfectly. And I think what this does is it's a massive testament to The Last of Us, the game, in how well written it was and how well it used like the visual language of Prestige TV to communicate its storylines. Mm-hmm. Because when it does do you know it's odd bit of this is one-to-one it doesn't feel out of place it doesn't feel like you're watching the video game in higher grade graphics mm. it looks and feels like prestige tv yeah it looks and sounds incredible as well like you don't i, I will say now like if you're expecting this to be like a walking dead or like a zombie apocalypse show it doesn't really focus on that side of the world too yeah. much like a lot of what's in the game like, if you think about it, that's what I wrote in my read. Like, a lot of the times you're meeting infected and clickers in the game, it's to give you something to do. Mm-hmm. It's gameplay, it's combat. A, a TV show obviously does not need that. And so a lot of those sections are removed. So it is much more of a human story. Mm-hmm. I what think. I will say, though, is I do think the opening emphasizes the zombies mm. more than the game does. There's a lot is, more yeah. Romero style shots of mm-hmm. people gnawing on people's necks. <laughs> it those bits are good. There's a, yeah, especially a good bit with, with an elderly person, which is mm-hmm. <laughs> quite enjoyable. But yeah, I 
like what the way they've done clickers i really like there's been a lot of chat with people people just finding something to moan about because it's the last of us like yeah. getting annoyed that there's no spores in this program which is because that's what everyone when the last of us came out everyone's like i just love the spores this would be nothing without the spores the, thing, the, the spores <laughs> is like like I, I the moment they said that it wasn't passed through spores and that they're obviously yeah. their their understanding is it has to be more realistic for the tv show mm. than the game mm. because in games we're used to a more heightened reality and in the TV show to convey the emotion has to convey a smiley more. And obviously, if it was spread by spores, we'd all be fucking dead by now because spores <laughs> yeah. are sent by wind, right? Yeah. They don't just stay where they're produced. Exactly. And so, so was, in the game, it's a mechanic, isn't it? It's a way to kind of put exactly. you into so, a stealth element. So does the world feel a bit more like fully realised then in terms of the show? Um, I mean, you meet... Hmm. Maybe you meet one or two more people, so it feels like there's one or two more pockets of civilization. It's not just you versus and I the world. Yeah. Say certainly, you know, obviously I've only seen the first episode, Cardi, and you've seen yeah. all of it. But there are certain minor changes they make that I think make um, the characters feel more like real people rather than video game characters. So, for instance, in the game, we know that Joel's kind of thing that he's doing at the start of the game is he's running guns right like him and tess run guns mm. and i won't say what the motivations are for joel this time around in case you know like that hasn't already mm. been put out there but i think what he's trying to do is more realistic for a normal human being than running guns yeah it, yeah it's more of a personal motivation okay. which yeah. i think it, it it works well for the show but yeah, when the affected do turn up, it it's worth it because they are. If you don't know yet, there's no spoils. I've seen people going like, "What are they going to do with part two story? Like spoils from an essential part? It's like the workaround. It's not an essential part of any part of the story. <laughs> um, they 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 go for a more tendril method in the show, and when you do see that, it's disgusting. So uh, everyone <laughs> will enjoy that, I'm sure. Um, Lovely. But yeah, just. I don't know what more there is to say about it. Like, if you like The Last of Us, you're going to love this. Like, I doubt there'll be many people that think The Last of Us is a great game who will watch this show and go, they haven't done it. Like, it, it doesn't uh, Aside work. from bad faith people, which always <laughs> exactly. exist. But no, like, I, I do obviously only... I mean, the the, open, the first episode is 80 minutes long, so it's a, it's a mm-hmm. long one. But certainly from that, it is... You can tell it's written by A, the people that wrote the original one, and B, mm-hmm. by people that care about that world and want to foster it into a new format that is suited for TV rather than mm. just a game. Um, yeah, I think, like, but, and particularly kind of like the set work that they've got, like, I think Boston looks incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looks great. It sounds great. You've got bits of the music from the game which yeah. work perfectly mm. as well like they really it's... capture that like environmental storytelling that the game has mm. like all of the and they do like the slow panning shots of like signs that are on the wall that give you that kind of like it's not just a pandemic that started these are people that have been living with like mm. the worst version of a pandemic for 20 years i think that's what yeah. i was a bit worried about like the production value or design to hear that it's you know looking believable because you look at like the late seasons of the walking dead and how things slowly go a bit downhill but obviously the last of us has sort of started with a bang i guess and it looks like it's something you can believe in i mean i'd read it somewhere that it's got a higher budget than the first five seasons of game of thrones had Jesus. so like they gave it a lot of money and that, i don't mean <laughs> yeah. that all five seasons combined i mean like each <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah I get you. so like it is almost certainly operating on a higher budget than the walking dead was mm. It's uh, reasons to be excited, I think. Absolutely. And, yeah. 
hopefully we don't have to wait ages for season two. I met some like people who haven't seen season one yet. I just want to watch <laughs> season two already. But uh, yeah, very, very good. You can read my spoiler-filled f- uh, reviews after each episode airs. So there you go. If you want to read my season review, that is spoiler-free. So enjoy. <laughs> um, Jesse, from one horrible world to another. Your bedroom. No, not your bedroom. Um, <laughs> wow. Sons of the Forest. <laughs> It's a game that you and One Dale Driver got to go and play a bit of at the end of last year, I believe. Oh, yeah. It was... Uh, I feel like The Forest is probably one of my favourite games. Uh, just as Full of a whole. Stop. Yeah, probably. Just nice. because in terms of like a co-op experience, it's friggin' super rewarding. Just really fun. But in case you, anyone who doesn't know what The Forest is, it's a survival game with a horror twist. You and... Seven of your mates, if you wish, uh, are left stranded. Up to seven. Up I thought it was just two people. No, no, you can play with us. Uh, eight people in total. Yeah, and that's, that's too many people. It's a good amount of people, but you're left stranded <laughs> on a peninsula of sorts. And it's populated with cannibals and mutants. And the objective is that you're trying to find your son. But a lot of the times it boils down to building a gazebo with your pals and maybe a water slide by a beach. It's good fun. Um, but yeah, it's got the sort of typical survival mechanics. You'll be chopping down trees, crafting supplies and weapons, building structures, exploring caves, all sorts. Um, and the forest has been out you know, for a while, I think since 2014. It was like a Steam Greenlight game back in the day, but it's shown its age now. And I'll just reiterate what Dale said, but in case you've missed his fantastic preview, um, the game, I think, has the potential to sort of move the survival genre genre forward in significant ways because we've been seeing a lot of these sort of just open world survival games pop up and then just sort of disappear over time with not much fanfare but um in terms of sons of the forest the premise is largely the same in this one instead of searching for your son you're looking for a missing billionaire and of course you again crash on an island as well now why would i want to search for the billionaire like like uh, that's the thing like the story can sort of take a back seat when you're playing the forest because really you're there just to have fun and survive. I'm, I'm quite content for him to stay lost on the island <laughs> yeah. full of mutants and cannibals. <laughs> I mean, that's that's fair. Yeah, there seems to be less of a justification. Don't you want to literally eat the rich? And, you could eat him. I mean, yeah, you can pretty much, but... Can, can you eat people? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, me, uh, and Dale, me and Dale quickly learned on our first playthrough that instead of, like, hunting for animals and trying to get food the decent way, we just became the baddies and just wiped out colonies of cannibals. It is... Wicked. <laughs> it might sound grim, but it's genuinely good fun. Uh, so Dale and I played there like, I think, five or six hours of uh, the sequel, Sons of the Forest. And our playthrough began with us waking up on a beach. And to our surprise, there was a an NPC in front of us. Now, the first game, it didn't have any friendly NPCs. So this came to a shock to us when the developers, the, the developers introduced us to a guy called Kelvin. Uh, now, oh. Kelvin is a companion NPC, and he'll be joining the players to, you know, help collect resources, whether they're rocks or sticks or fish. He'll help build structures and stuff, or you can just ask him to follow follow you around. Now, the, so he's the, like a worker unit from a he, RTS. Yeah, pretty much. He's like a little worker bee. But I guess the <laughs> the whole um, funky thing about Kelvin is that you, you can't actually speak to him. Uh, due to the crash, he took a pretty nasty bump to his head which results in the only method of communication being like a little notepad they use to issue commands right. with. So you'll take it out and be like... Is he a bit like Daniel Radcliffe in Swiss Army Man? <laughs> Daniel Radcliffe can speak in Swiss Army Man. 
Uh, but not re- uh, can well yeah we won't go deep into <laughs> if it's in his head or not but um <laughs> like- kelvin is very much real it's just unfortunately he can't really emote too much but he's incredibly useful so dale and i we wanted to put together sort of like a beach house straight away as you do during you know survival scenarios so we got kelvin to you know pick up some rocks and logs and then you know you'll jot down on the notepad you'll show it to his face and he just jogs away and starts working for you um <laughs> which is pretty good but could you meet Kelvin? Is that an option? You can kill Kelvin straight away. So Kel- you get one Kelvin per like multiplayer session because you wouldn't have like 10 of him running around with all of your mates because then it'll be complete okay. chaos. But you can get rid of him straight away if you want to. Or you can, you know, keep him around and get some help. But then that, that, that AI sort of base, like having Kelvin there to help you, even if it was just Dale or myself playing solo, it just seems like a, a massive game changer because you can get rid of all of those like small time jobs that you usually have to do when you're playing a survival game like if you jump into minecraft or something you're always gonna have to search for like you know chopping down a few trees to get some wood or looking for the these bits and that but then it sort of takes away from the actual fun parts of these games which is building up your base and having kelvin there sort of just assists with that especially for people who want to play solo they still get that little multiplayer experience as well which is pretty cool um, it sounds like sort of like a te- an answer to the tedium of yeah. uh, those kind of mechanics. Yeah, pretty much. And the, the developers pretty much uh, described him as that, to, to be fair. Um, but then as we're getting into the building as well, that's when we discovered that's entirely changed as well. It's a, I'd say it's a lot more immersive and realistic, but it's still fun. Because in the first game, you would open up your survival book, you would select a prefab, uh, like, like a log cabin, for example. You will plonk it down and you pretty much just threw resources at it until it built itself. But now you can really get stuck into it and get creative with it. If you want a floor for your room, uh, then you grab some logs, split them in half of your axe, and you snap them into place. Once your walls are done, you might want a door and entryway, so you'll walk to the middle of the wall, chop and push some logs away, and now you've got yourself a way to enter your cabin. Like, everything is sort of contextual within the world. You're not just placing one thing down. It sort of just builds itself together. And it's the same for, you know, whether you're crafting or building or eating. There's animations for everything but they don't feel tedious. But then, Okay, Alan Titchmarsh, I've had enough of ground floors. <laughs> Tell me about the zombies. I mean, they, they've, <laughs> they've also seen a big change. Like, Dale sort of put it that in a lot of these survival games, you have the sort of basic premise of these AI are either sort of just wandering around in groups or they're just attacking you simply, and that's about it. But in Sons of the Forest now, the AI sort of have... I'm trying to remember how the the developers put it but they sort of have their own <laughs> thoughts and feelings i guess there might be some cannibals who might be you know staying from afar and just watching you from afar trying to gather info about what you and your friends might be doing there might be some that have more leadership roles and might try and charge in and then when you attack them back if you win you might have them retreating or you might have some cannibals like crying over their fallen allies or if the weather's changing and it's now colder and because it's winter you might have them, you know, wearing warmer clothing, or you might see different tribes interacting with each other and stuff, which you didn't quite get in the first Forest game, but it's it's weird. Sons of the Forest is sort of like they've they've built up that beyond like beyond having Kelvin to help you or the new and improved building mechanics. Like End Night games of just from the preview alone and from what we play, they've done a crazy job sort of evolving and building upon everything the first game did. And even on just on a sort of like pure visual level, like the game looks 
stunning. It's a, a proper AAA looking experience from a team of like maybe 15 developers and stuff. You know, the game, like I said, now has changing seasons as well. So you'll work through spring all the way through winter. And yeah, the AI is a lot more. How do you actually progress the story? Do you just are there well, missions, or not, do you just not, go not really get further into the forest? Pretty much, like sort of the way it worked in the first game is that you know you wake up, you know that your son's missing, and your survival log it'll say search for your missing son. So you might build a camp, you start exploring caves, finding notes through the caves, like sort of key cards to enter hidden locations and stuff. So you're sort of progressing the story yourself. There's not really any cutscenes your character's not saying oh i really need to find my son and stuff it's you're sort of progressing through it at your own pace you can entirely leave the objective alone if you want to just to have some fun there's nothing like forcing you there's no timed sensitive events for sons of, mm-hmm. for the forest and i feel like it's going to be the same for sons as well you said this up to eight players do you think this is going to be the game that brings us together to play games at lunch finally <laughs> Since the days of Siege and Overwatch have long since passed, I feel I feel like I feel like it can because I know Dale and I have had a lot of fun playing this game. And but I also know what Dale and you were like. If we we said we want to play it together, then you two would just play it for three hours a night and leave us behind. <laughs> absolutely wouldn't do that. I mean, that's the thing. Like, if anyone's up, it, for... it absolutely would. <laughs> it wouldn't be. <laughs> if we had a set time, we would stick to it. But that's that's the thing. Like, it it can be a chill building experience if you want it to be because you can set it so that you know you don't have to deal with enemies all the time if you want to or you can make it a sort of harder survival experience but the thing with the forest that you're not dealing with like like a lot of other you know more popular survival games it's not like you have to you know drink every five minutes eat every five minutes if you sprint your character's completely gassed like the survival mechanics are there but they're not really hindering you as you play which is good. So yeah, survival's not necessarily my my favorite genre for what you've just listed there. Having being reminded you need to eat every five minutes, I'm like, this is yeah. Just, but uh, just let me go and play the game. The forest and sons <laughs> of the forest is, isn't really like that at all. Like those survival in- mechanics are there, but they're not they're not the they're not the thing that's going to be holding you back from the fun. In terms of your progression, so I used to play survival games around the time of like the original boom. Like I played like rust in its original <laughs> oh, version God, yeah. when it had got zombies in it and and like radiation zones and stuff like that um and i played uh, a reasonable amount of daisy what is the kind of player progression system like like do you start with kind of like a rock and gradually build your way up to like somehow finding a blueprint to build a pistol and then eventually you get like a machine gun or so with sons of the forest there's sort of like a few like starting locations that you might start out so you have a chance to have a helicopter crash by a beach or within the forest itself and another location as well but in terms of progression you'll wake up and you'll have sort of like your basic survival kit which i believe is an axe but then scattered all around you you have you know your rocks your trees and all sorts and you can start putting stuff together to build a basic little survival camp and stuff but in terms of progression you'll probably be delving into the cave systems or maybe finding you unique locations dotted around the map and oh now i found a pistol now i found this underground bunker that has this items and it all sort of builds up into you eventually going towards the end but if you're not really exploring the environment then you're not really progressing there's not like an an xp system where like oh now i can build faster and stuff there's nothing really like that but yeah interesting it's there we go it's happening like a month, isn't it? It's been a long time coming. Yes, it's uh, it certainly it certainly has. But I mean, if if any of this has piqued your interest interest at all, I'd honestly just suggest watching or reading uh, Dale's preview 
uh, because there's tons, mm -hmm. tons of uh, good footage in that. And is and that, it if that go on? Sorry, yeah, I was gonna say, is it coming out out, or is it going to be like an early access game, like what the original one was? I don't think it's coming out in early access. I wouldn't say for sure. I'm almost certain it's just a full release, and then mm -hmm. you know you'll have your future updates as time goes along. And is and it is, is it PC first, or are they going like full console? I think release? it's just PC as of now, as right. far as I'm aware. Interesting. And if that has piqued your interest, you've got a month to play the first one if you if you never got around to that. So there you go. Sons of the Forest. From the Sons of the Forest to the Midnight Suns. <laughs> is that uh, why you put it in that order, just for that? No, I put it in an order of uh, importance. Oh, okay. Um, Matt, we spoke about this game, what, just before Christmas, mm -hmm. when we, we'd both played a few hours of it. Uh, you played about 10 or 15, I think, at that point, And you were enjoying this game. You finished it a couple of days ago, and I think I you can safely now say it is very, very enjoyable. It was my... I eventually ranked it as my second favourite game of last year. Wow. wow. I put it above Ragnarok. That is... Damn. I, I didn't know you'd done that. That sounds mad. Tell us why. <laughs> um, because it's, like, absolutely fucking incredible. And I think the thing when I finished it that I realised that why I ended up putting it above Ragnarok is it does what god of war did when it came out in 2018 like i've not played anything like um uh midnight suns mm. it, it feels like such a fresh take on whilst like god of war 2018 i'd played games that had similar elements to it i mm. played third person you know i played a FromSoft game i played zelda i played all of the games that god of war draws on i've obviously played loads of XCOM. i've played uh fire emblem i've played kind of persona so I've played games that have this element, but I've never played a game that is like Midnight Suns. Um, and part of that is just, I think it's got like that combat system that we, you know, we we praised up the last time we were speaking about it. Mm. Only gets more interesting as it goes on, as each story mission kind of finds new ways to get you to think about how you're playing. And also the characters that you recruit. I can actually talk about the characters that we recruit because they are literally on the box art. So I'm not spoiling <laughs> that any of them are in. But for example, like Wolverine, the way that they build Wolverine out as this character that quite a lot of his cards are like chain pounce attacks. So you can kind of like attack three or four people in a row. And it, it makes him feel like that animalistic kind of just like absolutely going to town on multiple people exactly like you've seen him in the comics yeah um uh kind of like uh later on you uh like i, I don't think i got captain america at the time we were talking and captain mm. america has a, like a lot of his stuff is to do with increasing block because obviously he's a shield wielder <laughs> yep. but then expending that block as attacks which is obviously the shield bashes and the you can throw the shield and, and knock it off kind of like six people and, and bring it back to you and all of that. That is brilliant. But I think the one thing that we'd, we kind of weren't sure on when we were talking back in December was this idea of like our review, you know, the, the, the wise words of Dan Stapleton at the end of that review was he felt that Firaxis had managed to stand up alongside Bioware and Larian as like one yeah. of the great RPG makers of all time. And we were just like, is, is this is this a bit a bit far for our tastes? <laughs> um, now I finished it. I absolutely understand what he means, but it's not what you would think he'd mean from that okay. sentence. Because I remember you describing it sort of like a Sunday cartoon ish vibe near the start of the game. Yeah, and it still does have that. But what I will say is, 
it's not an RPG in the same, particularly not like Larian. It's not kind of like got these incredible choices and this wonderful reactivity. Mm. It's not got any of that. But it's the first time in basically since about Mass Effect 3, maybe Dragon Age Inquisition, that a story about an ensemble of characters has felt like that. Like when you're getting into kind of like the second act particularly, it all kicks off and it is just constantly like mission after mission after mission and the storyline that is expanded on between that when you're at the Abbey feels like a Bioware game. (laughs) It is full-on exciting characters working together, characters betraying each other, groups kind of forming within the ranks and stuff like that. It is genuinely a brilliant piece of Marvel storytelling. It is better than anything that marvel has told in cinema since kind of the end game era mm-hmm. um it's it's nice. absolutely wonderful it's 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 characterization of all those characters is exceptional mm. and even though the social side of it when you're doing the hangouts never gets any better it always feels quite shallow and you it doesn't ever feel like you're progressing people's problems or digging into individual storylines the overall event storyline yeah is fantastic Nice. You've made me want to carry on playing it. So I just got sidetracked. I got like eight hours, ten hours in, and then yeah, fell off. Not because I wasn't enjoying it anymore. Just mm-hmm. other, just wanted to do other things. Yeah. The, se- the second act, when it also, so it's a three act game, um, mm. and kind of like the first act is is very long in comparison to act two and three. Like acts two and three are equal sizes, but they're about half the length of act one. Okay. But when it starts getting off, it has like the biggest Marvel moments. Like, and it also understands like how to use camp really well like there are moments where like you'll have it go into slow motion as robbie rays who is uh the the new ghost rider in this who is like the the more modern ghost rider rather than uh, johnny blaze like his car will like ramp up off a cliff and it will go into slow motion and it will like spin the camera around him while these spinning flaming chains (laughs) stood on the bonnet and it's kind of like, okay, it knows how to have like real good, exciting fun with these characters mm. in a way that kind of like it's almost like the MCU, despite being quite daft, almost feels like it's above doing that with its characters. But it's like, it's cool when you get to do a bit of like superhero camp. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I do want to get around to it. I just need to find the time. Do you know how many hours it took you roughly in the um, end? So I actually came in so Stapleton did it in 65 hours I did it in 55 um, and what I would recommend is kind of like I did you can't You it, it kind of spaces the main missions out so you do a main mission and then you do a side mission then you do a main mission, then you do a side mission like I know of some people that have started to feel like they were burning out on it because they were trying to do all of the side missions mm. But yeah. the side missions are like side missions in XCOM, where it's just it's just a, a template mission to right, get you okay. extra rewards. It's not like they've got story attached to them. Do you feel like you could have mainlined it quite? Like, did you need so, those side mission upgrades to make? Well, it a so that's ride? the thing. I, for as far as the game will let you, mainlined it. I just did main mission, yeah. side mission, main mission, side mission, because you can't do yeah main mission, main mission, main mission. Because yeah. generally, particularly in the big moments, to do a main mission. It requires the characters to research like who mm. they're going up against next. And so that day is your down day where you would do a side mission. But mm. because those side missions don't really have any kind of like narrative to them, I never felt like, oh, I've got seven side missions and I need to do them all before I move on. Um, so I would say just just do that cadence of main side, main side. 
um, and get you, yourself you through stick, the game. Did you stick with just one difficulty throughout your entire playthrough? I did, yes. Oh, yeah, okay, like cool. you can you can notch it up, which will get you higher rewards. But mm. ultimately, like. I thought that the main difficulty, like the standard difficulty, was was perfectly fine. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. Like certainly some of the later boss, like I wouldn't say I ever struggled with it, which maybe is a point that like maybe I should have notched it up one, but it felt at the right level of fun for what I wanted. In the well, same if you way, enjoy, if this, you enjoy the story, you want to progress it. Don't you? It's in the same mm. reason why, kind of like, not that slightly different thing but like for example i'm playing the witcher 3 at the moment and i'm playing it on easy because i actually think the witcher 3 particularly in its opening kind of like 15 hours the combat can be a bit garbage until kind of you've built Geralt up and but i'm not going to change it back up to medium because i'm playing it for the story rather than the combat challenge yeah in Midnight Suns, it's not the same because I am playing it for combat challenge. Yeah. But it felt like it was exercising my brain at the right level at normal mm-hmm. difficulty. I didn't feel like I needed to lose more battles than I yeah. was. So I do want to get back to it, but there's just so many games coming out soon. And I've got that looming spectre of Persona 3 and 4 coming to the Switch next week, which, you know, they're very... um, They're... they're of a piece those mm. sort of games sure. so uh, they're also yeah. like 99 hours long <laughs> yeah exactly so i won't be able, I, I will not finish both personas and midnight suns in the next month let's put it that <laughs> way i was uh, like like you know anybody that's on the fence like i can't i can't recommend midnight suns enough and also it has like you know it follows the mcu tradition of having a great post credits will they ever get to make that second game though that's i hope the... i really hope so like yeah. and it's one of those where kind of like i think i mentioned before the idea of like some of those social situations feel like they fit better in an x-men game mm. um i would be happy if it was kind of like firaxis's marvel series rather than the midnight sun series um i'd like them to kind of like find other teams that they could do so i can play with different sorts of heroes exactly get the x-men and fantastic four on there you've got a good game i Wait, think so you've already got a good game mm-hmm. uh, Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Um, I've been watching some good films. Um, I've been doing my little, you know, there's some films coming out soon. It's We're getting in, we're in award season. I've mm-hmm. been catching up on all the, the things I, I like to do this most years, the things I should have seen. You know, the things they're getting, the, the rave reviews, the nominations. Uh, I'm going to talk about three this week, quickly. The first one, Babylon, the new film from Damien Chazelle of Whiplash, La La Land and First Man fame. This film has absolutely split people. Like, I've seen everything. There's one-star reviews out there. There's five-star reviews out there. It's 
three hours and eight minutes. Fucking hell. <laughs> it is... Does it justify that? <laughs> that's that's a very good, very good question. It is overlong. It is absolutely excessive. It is extravagant. It's a bit messy in places. I think I absolutely loved it. <laughs> like, it's a deeply flawed film. Like... It, I uh, don't envy anyone who had to actually write a review of this film because I don't know where I'd start. Because I'd probably criticise it for a lot of parts and then go mm. nine out of ten. <laughs> like I, 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 I absolutely loved it. Like the easiest way, to, in a nutshell, it is like a nineteen twenties Hollywood version of Boogie Nights, which and that does tick a lot of boxes for me. It's kind of like singing in the rain with the energy of Wolf of Wall Street. Like I mean, that, God, hundred, that sounds it, pretty perfect to me. To be honest, it is I. If it clicks with you, it'll click with you. I will say after three hours, uh, as soon as this film finishes, I felt, I can't remember a film where I'd felt so beat up and just like, I feel like I've been physically assaulted in every sense. Is that just because of the hours? No, like it's the the relentless, relentless speed. People, you know that people, when they watch Uncut Gems, they're like, I just feel mm-hmm. like I've been showered oh, out for two okay. hours. Yeah, yeah, Imagine yeah. another hour of that with some of the most excessive... The best way I can explain this, like, within the first two minutes of the film, you've already seen an elephant just shit diarrhea all over <laughs> someone and see a woman piss on a man's face within two minutes of the film starting. And it doesn't really relent from there. Oh, it's time to watch this, this in this, the cinema. <laughs> this is not what I expect from the nice man that made the nice dancing... Well, this is what... The, uh, if we want to go nice deep man. into the nice film, which I don't really have time to, a lot of people theorise that he regrets La La Land and he hates that film now, and this is his <laughs> retort to it. I don't agree with that. Surely I think he not. likes that film. I love La La Land. Like, How can you... I, oh, it's one of my absolute favourite films. Is this the Dark and... Souls of La La Land? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's an odd... Like, the way you can read this film is if it's it's a complete love letter to film, which I think it is. But I think on the on the on the flip side, it's almost him going, "We've ruined it." Sure, <laughs> like, like or it's... almost like how the menu is a bit like they fucking ruined like yeah. gourmet restaurant yeah, yeah. experiences. Like I, like in a cinema, it, it does blow you away. It's got all like it's got a very similar to score to La La Land. The la, the music is incredible. Like all the music, like the jazz they use. Is amazing. Like, Does it have musical Margot numbers Rob- in it? Like yeah, singing is it a good? musical. There's like one or two little bits. It's not a musical. Okay. No. It's got like musical bits. Um, <laughs> but like it follows four people like in the twenties Hollywood on the cusp of um, talking films becoming a thing. So it okay. kind of has that singing rain thing of like yeah, charting that story oh. of people people's lives changing. I love that. But in just dark and dark ways. You know, it's got one scene that is pretty much just a homage to. A scene from Boogie Nights, like it's just a descent into hell, really, and I loved it. <laughs> like Margot Robbie is just throwing like a hundred mile an hour fastballs to use a baseball uh, <laughs> analogy for people. I don't even know if that's right. Um, all the time, like she is unbelievable. She's given that like somewhere between her Wolf. Of... It's like Wolf of Wall Street crossed with Harley Quinn performance. Like she's going for it. Brad Pitt's very good. Like it's just. I really loved it, but I can also stand why, understand why you'd walk out of this film and go, what absolute abhorrent mess. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's the, uh, for me, those are the best films. So, so, someone's favourite film is someone's least favourite film. Honestly, it sounds, like a, pretty a good, freestyle sounds film. like a pretty good experience to me, and I don't mind long films either. So Yeah, that's out, I believe, next Friday in the UK in cinemas. 
Uh, it's been out in America for a couple of weeks. I'm definitely uh, watching I'm that. Interviewing Damien Chazelle in like three hours. I'm very excited about oh, it. Fun. Very excited about it. Um, and I, I'm glad I can tell him I love the film because I was really, when I walked into that screen, I was like, there's a good chance I might hate this. And I don't want to walk into that interview and have to lie that I liked it. But I don't <laughs> have to lie. You don't I have really to say it. that you liked it. You just, but you I just like, congratulate good, you them. Can't, yeah, I know. But it's a, they can tell when it's genuine. Mm. <laughs> and I can genuinely say I love this film. Um, yeah, check it out if you want three hours of absolute excess. Um, yes, please. Another one, much more reserved. Tar. Has anyone seen Tar? No. No. It's out today in cinema. I did hear it being like compared to this is kind of like whiplash for composing. It's got oh. a bit of that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's a little bit of that. Um, much quieter film. It's like a. It's not not as long either. It's like two and a quarter hours, I think. Yeah, it's like a psychological drama slash that uh, slash thriller mm. follows Kate Blanchett's Lydia Tarr, who is a composer. Who and it's also kind of almost a semi descent into hell, but a subtler one. Um, it she's like yeah, one of the world's most famous uh, composers in Berlin and. Yeah, it follows kind of things start to change in her life. I'm not going to say anything from there, uh, but yeah, it's she's absolutely phenomenal in it. She always is, to be fair. Like uh, I don't know what has it got like Go similar on. vibes to like Black Swan because that's what I'm sort of picturing in my head. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, there's little bits of that mm. in there. It's just it's very very classy. I, I again, I really liked it. Like I think it's a brilliant film. I just it doesn't have when you say like Whiplash and like Black Swan that kind of has a bit more kind of panache in its editing this is a bit less stylish this is much more like it's co- quite a cold film but that's what it's going for and I, I liked it like there are like scenes where she's conducting an orchestra and they're not you know it's not the Damien Chazelle cutting to every instrument like bang bang bang, yeah, bang. Yeah, it's yeah. much more like here's a wide and here's a close-up of her and it's all about her really than the music um yeah I check out Tar if you're into a, a, a kind of a slower psychological uh Drama slash thriller. You're recommending all the bangers, though. All these films sound really well, good right now. <laughs> and then we come to After Sun, which apparently the saddest film ever made. <laughs> really? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. So this, I, I do re- again really like it. I don't think it's hit home for mm-hmm. me because it's a very, it's obviously a deeply personal film. It follows um, Paul Mescal, who is a young dad and his 11 year old daughter on holiday, and it's basically just like a little holiday film. But you also cut back to every now and then the grown-up daughter kind of watching back this home video they took on holiday. And it's obviously a, he's not a, not in the picture anymore and it's kind of like a looking back at that holiday. And it's all about, you know, seeing something from a point of view and then not really knowing someone, mm. if you know what I mean. So you've got the perspective of, you know, you spent a week with the person that it seemed like it was okay, but then you don't really know what was really, you know, going on it is sad it is kind of the thing is like this like i said it's a deeply pers- obviously a deeply personal film it's directed by charlotte wells it's her first ever film which is just astonishing uh and it's obviously semi-autobiographical it just i don't i don't have that relatable point if you know what i mean i'm not a young father or i'm not i'm not the son of like a, I, i'm very lucky that i've uh you know had a happy upbringing of uh, a couple that are together and you know mm. so i don't have that touch point necessarily but it's a film i'm when i was watching it i was deeply 
respecting it than going, I'm loving this, if you know what I mean. Okay. Like, it's a film that will absolutely destroy some people. I guarantee that. So if any of that, you know, sounds enjoyable to you, I think that's in cinemas at the moment. It's definitely on um, Mubi, Mubi, if you're subscribed yeah, to mm-hmm. Mubi. It's only like an hour and 20 minutes, hour and a half. Sounds so, like yeah. a very different vibe to the <laughs> Yeah, that's, films. you're not gonna, yeah, that, almost the complete opposite of Babylon. Okay. Uh, so <laughs> there you go. It's not a double bill I'd recommend. All right. Anytime soon. But yeah, those are some very good films that, yeah, if you're into film, you've probably very much heard of. But if you haven't, check them out. Mm. Uh, do you know what I'd like to check out, though? Go on. A little thing we like to call The Endless Search. Inside, it's a UK IGN crew. Yeah, 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 and ones and twos. We got the games gonna play for you. Inside, I got a question for you. Hold tight, the DJ, we're coming through. Yeah, yeah, and ones and twos. We got the games gonna play for you. Inside, I got a question for you. Is it in the search? Matt, I have no idea what you've brought to the table today. Oh, yeah. uh, you're doing I, uh, I hadn't got a clue what I was going to bring to the table either, so I went and dived into the inbox to try and find something. This might have been one that we've played before. I don't know. Uh, but it's called Meta Split It, which is from uh, sent in by Silent Node in Canada. Whoa, that's and, a cool name. He sounds like he's uh, he's a hacker. Yeah, my kind um, of guy. <laughs> and this is a game about looking for the difference between the critic and the user review score. Oh, God, my favourite thing. Uh, so basically, we'll be looking for a combination of both highest and lowest splits. So for some of them, you'll want to find the one where the user review is so far away from the critic review, and sometimes you'll be looking for the closest. Okay. Um, and because we've been chatting about The Last of Us today, oh yeah, I'd oh. like typically, us to start. Users typically love this series of <laughs> games um, for the most part. But uh, I'd like to start with, I'd like you to find the highest split, so the biggest gulf between the opinions of the users and the critics for a video game adaptation, be Ooh, that so a could... TV show or a film. Ooh. Oh, no. A biggest split. What's one that did something... I do apologise to everybody that this this will be one of those games where you'll have to hear my keyboard clacking. I oh, can't believe no. it. Many, um, many sorries. Um, uh, and I'm gonna start. Like, Cardi, you you reviewed the the, the I, show, so let's let's yeah. go first from you. Oh, all right. Let me have a quick think. What is something that uh, people might? Uh, like, if you want a big gap, you normally have to go critics high because then users mm. will, will will go the opposite. Unfortunately, way. in the days of the review bombing, that tends to be what we yeah. do, isn't it? Um, but I'm trying. I'm struggling to think of a video game adaptation that reviewed really well. <laughs> so, um, I'm I'm gonna go. I've no idea how this really did. I'm just gonna go with Detective Pikachu. Detective Pikachu. I need to. It's it's automatically going for the game. Are you are you going for the highest like critic score and then the lowest user score? So, I don't know. so you're, I you're no currently idea. looking for the <laughs> highest split. Okay, the highest. So, yeah. so the, right, 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 the the right. biggest distance between the critics. So it could be that critics went really low, okay, but users okay. went really high, okay. or the other way around. I'm I'm hoping for that. Maybe critics thought it was okay, gave it like a seventy, and the users okay. went for it was a fifty. Right, <laughs> Jesse, like... what are you looking for? I'm going to go with Hitman. Which one? 2007, Hitman. The, the first one, one with... um, Is it... Timothy Oliphant in it? Yes, that's it. 
Do you think that reviewed well or reviewed badly? I feel like it got shit reviews, but then the fans loved it. They reclaimed it. <laughs> <laughs> they were... I need to... I definitely watched that film and I couldn't tell you a single thing about it. I can't it. remember anything about it. Okay. What I will say, Jesse, is that <laughs> compared... So there was Hitman 2007 and there was Hitman Agent 47 oh, in 2015. the one that people loved. 47 got a lower critic review no. than the one you've chosen. Okay. Um, okay, let me just do He's the, gonna crunch the, the numbers. mathematics. Um wasn't there a, yeah, was, wasn't there a Need for Speed film? There was. There with was, Aaron Paul. yes. Oh. That quickly got forgotten. <laughs> Who's looking forward Holiday. to Gran Turismo? <laughs> okay, Carly isn't. Uh, mm, uh, yeah, I can't say I am. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> uh, it's reasonably close. Okay. Ooh. So, Cardi, you chose Detective Pikachu. Which has a meta score of 53. Ooh, that's low enough. Yeah. People thought it was all right. And has a user score of 7.5. Okay, I go completely the wrong way around. Which, for for our purposes, is obviously a 75, which means 22. Jesse, you've 22 to beat. Hitman from 2007, (laughs) starring Timothy Oliphant, directed by Xavier Jens. Such a mad casting choice. Meta score of 35. (sighs) A user score of 6.4, which means, Whoa, Jesse, done it. 29. Nice. He found the highest split. But I was either going to go for that or Prince of Persia, but I don't. I feel like Prince of Persia, might, well, people might really hate that all around. You've got to keep those adaptations in mind because exactly. now we're going to do the same, but oh, I want right. you to find the closest split, oh, the lowest split. Where people were aligned mm-hmm. on it. So, uh, Jesse... Uh, as the winner of the last round, I will let you go first. Um, Which one do you think the critics and the fans were actually aligned on? Oh no. For a video game adaptation. Sonic the Hedgehog? Ooh, the first one. Yes, because the second one was more of the same and people disliked that, right? Uh, I don't know. I do remember that Sonic the Hedgehog was has always reasonably been well liked. Yeah. Um, anyway, Cardi. I'm gonna go for something that people just thought thought was good. Mm-hmm. Can I go with Castlevania Netflix? Uh, of course you can. Oh yeah, that'll be banging. That's, uh, that's gonna win. Castlevania TV show from 2017. Oh, that's a really good show. So. Let me just do... I do apologize for everybody at home that I have to do the maths. That's all good. I was going to go Arcane, but I didn't know if there were... So I don't know if mm. there are... I don't know the League of Legends fan base enough to know... I feel like they loved it. it was I, think, I think they adored it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, there we go. I wasn't thinking of TV shows. or full. I don't know how the Dragon's right. Dogma series did. I don't uh, think no, that, I was think that wasn't okay. well-liked, yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah. the scores are in. We're looking for the lowest split. Jesse, yes, as the winner of the last round, I fucked this. you chose Sonic the Hedgehog, which has a meta score of 47, mm. but well, a user score harsh. of 8.1. <laughs> the Sonic fans the really came round. out for that one. Ah, oh, fuck. Cardi, Castlevania on Netflix. That's... A meta score of 71. Genuinely quite, quite well liked. Mm. User yeah. score of 8.0. That means... Okay. Jesse, 34 for your split, and Cardi, Uh, 9. 
I thought that people means... really liked Sonic, or well, at least the critics. I thought people just sort of like mm. enjoyed it. I, I think people fell into the trap of it's an okay film, therefore it's a good yeah. adaptation because mm. that's better than what we normally get. Right. We're looking for the highest, the highest golf again. Okay. For a film in the MCU. <laughs> Cardi as the uh, winner of the last round. There's so many different ways you could go with it. Please this. <laughs> give me your vote for an MCU film. Um, uh, da, da, da. I'm on a high gap, like a massive gap. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm going to go Craig's high. Do, uh, I got it. Uh, uh, there's, there's a different way there's definitely some fan base ways you can go with this that people like to bomb it for different reasons <laughs> come on Cardi um, I need an answer okay I'm gonna go for Shang-Chi surely that can't be that much of a massive difference I just feel like that may have been review bombed okay and Jesse, please give me. I think I know what you're going to say, so I'm already typing it in. Oh, this is about Captain Marvel. Oh, it wasn't what I thought Ooh. you were going to say. That was one of my options, but I don't actually think it reviewed that well. Um, but I feel like I feel like, the, I feel like the difference the, is going to be then, extreme. Yeah, it could have been review bombed to the point of one. Yeah. Right. So <laughs> okay, this is this is this is a fun one. Um. Because for one of you, I only have to do the maths. Because the other one, I don't need to. <laughs> oh, no. Okay, fair enough. What does that mean? Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings has a meta score of 71. Okay. But has a user score of 7.1. Oh, brilliant. Oh, okay. Well, if that was a re- I must get a point for that somewhere. Uh, you get a point for, for effort for absolutely mm. the wrong piece. Uh, Captain yeah. Marvel, a meta score of 64 for what I think is a perfectly fine mid-tier Marvel yeah. film. A user score, because people are fucking babies, <laughs> is a 3.0. I thought it was going to be lower, to be fair. Gone. I should have gone with it. Jesse. Yeah. You are now in the lead. Yeah. <laughs> and so what I want is the lowest split, so the closest between the the critics and the uh, and the fans for a film in the DCEU. <laughs> Oh God! Has anyone ever agreed on anything <laughs> in the universe? Oh, I've got to make them reasonably challenging. I know. Who goes first, Jesse? Jesse. As the winner the of lowest, the DCEU. <laughs> like the- so that's everything from Man of Steel onwards. So right? this, yes, this is Man of Steel onwards. It has to be like essentially what we would largely consider the Snyderverse, even yeah. though like there's some exceptions there. Yeah. So are we are we looking for the smallest gap? Yeah, yeah. You want where the fans and the critics actually pretty <laughs> much agreed. I feel like it has to be Shazam. Ah, oh, that's all I was <laughs> gonna go for. Very good shout. Because it's like that's the only the- good one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I just feel like you can't do anything Snyder related. <laughs> um, does is the Suicide Squad count the James Gunn one? Uh, DC, yes, because it's got Harley one. Quinn in, right? So I'll have still, I think you're winning on that one. I just don't want to go anything that's officially in that. Uh, yeah, because all the rest Snyder are shiters, but that has to be a winning one. Yeah. Oh, these it's are, either that or these Black Adams. I think everyone might have agreed that wasn't good. But I think there is some Snyder no, boys. Yeah, surely that, there's people uh, who love Black Adam. 
all, all the power to you. Was that the film that killed that universe, like, full stop? No. I think, I think no, larger, no. like... The Rock claims it saved it. Oh. <laughs> good, good on him. <laughs> this one. This one's a lovely close one. Oh, no. <laughs> um, Jesse. Yeah. You said Shazam. Mm. Shazam has a meta score of 71 and a user score of 78. Okay. 7.8, which means you have a 7 as your score. That's, that's Cardi. Good. That's a good, Cardi's good got this one. He's the this Suicide one. Squad. Suicide Squad has 72 as its meta score. Oh, no. And 6.9 for its user score, oh, which puts you at 3. I've done it. Okay. Yes. That is a. That's a bad So it's a draw. So it's a good job I did five of these. Yeah, I was going to say, if it just ends a draw. Good. Good. Um, so Let's do it. the final one to clinch it. Mm. I want the highest split, the biggest gulf between fans and critics, for a HBO show. Ooh. Oh, I don't know. Cardi. Do you know the funny thing? Yeah. Cardi, you would have to know this shit, right? What do you mean? I'd have no, because I feel like you you have the knowledge of uh, all the all the HBO shows. I haven't seen every HBO show. There's, there's a lot of them. Thing is, I would go Last of Us, but I don't think they allow user reviews yet, do they? Because <laughs> it's not out. I don't know, and I'm not going to tell you until I look what what you give. Um, hmm. Something that would have been review bombed. I'm going with Watchmen. I reckon there were some angry people probably with Watchmen, despite it being interesting. Brilliant. I think you've got that. Okay, right. The score is in for Watchmen. Jesse, give me a HBO show. All I can think of is something I haven't watched, but it's True Blood. Which oh, I think... I've absolutely, I've absolutely mucked it up as well. Really? True Blood. I've got to my answer with Watchmen, but surely mm-hmm. Game of Thrones just got bombed in the end. So, so the thing that you have to remember oh, with um, with Metacritic is that can you do seasons? Uh, it it doesn't do it by seasons. No, oh. it kind of like Metacritic is oh, okay. weird that they don't do it. You know, there's not individual entries. It's like True Blood is its own yeah. thing. Um, I will point out, I was quite a fan of True Blood back in the day. I thought I it was. I like the first couple of seasons a lot. I watched it all the way through. It does go fucking bananas. It's, it's a later vampire on. Like, show, right? It is a vampire yeah. show. It's a very like erotic vampire I was going to say I was, it was one of like the sexy vampire shows that I think people either well, hate or love season, season 4 I think it's season, it's either season 3 or season 4 but I think it's season 4 it just has a bit where one of the main villain vampires gets staked and when the vampires get staked in True Blood they just explode <laughs> and then his lover like scrapes him up and carries him around in a glass bowl for the rest of the season That's it's fucking so like wonderfully excessive Oh, man. Uh, right, okay. Can we just do the maths? Watchmen. Yeah, Watchmen's a win. Has to be. I don't know. I, don't, I can't remember what people felt about it. I swear it. that got review bombed. Uh, I don't know. I just went for True Blood because it seems like it has, in general, like shitty TV vibes. So True Blood it. has a meta score of 69. It, it's considered good. It's in the green. I've lost. Uh, it has a user score of 7.7, which Fuck. means, Jesse, your score is 8. Yeah. We're looking for the highest score, the highest number here. Oh. Cardi, Watchmen. It's it's the Metacritic must-watch award with an Whoa. 85. Yeah, this is okay. And a user score 
because people are fucking babies mm. of 5.6 <laughs> which means 5. that you 6. get a 29 that is score. ridiculous Cardi congratulations victory at last that was a good battle I enjoyed it it was a good battle mm. um we are like you said we we we, we use a, a a user end of search that was very enjoyable thank you silent node yeah if you want to send more in ign underscore uk feedback at ign.com as well as any other feedback you may have for us if you've seen babylon next week let me know what you think of babylon because <laughs> uh i've got no one to talk about babylon with <laughs> so yeah, is it out this weekend out. you said next friday i believe oh. is when it's out i'm gonna watch that uh, as soon as yeah, there we go. Um, but first, let's read some feedback. Jesse, what we got? I've got some feedback from William Matthews. He says, Good evening, gents. In your recent episode, you mentioned about long-running game series, which are mandatory to play in order. In order. Mm-hmm. And I recently thought of uh, Nihon Falcom's Tra- Trails or Kaseki series. It is often compared to the MCU of video games, whereas each arc of games is set in a different part of the world, but a continuation of existing characters and an overarching story. The first game released in 2003 and is still going 12 games long. And there's a heavy emphasis on world building, character development and politics. Most importantly, they are required to play in order as are chronological and later games spoil earlier ones. Extremely high barrier to entry with the length of the series, and would probably be interesting to see a Western AAA developer attempt something similar. Mass Effect is probably the closest thing. Keep up the great work, and as always, respect the sea. I never heard I, of this I, series before. I, I, I know, like, Trails of Cold Steel, it's like Trails in the Skies. I never knew it was one continuous story. I thought they were like a Final Fantasy, you just dropped in and out, so I'm glad mm. I've, I've never tried, because it sounds <laughs> like be mad. Um, yeah, we were trying to think of any, like, really long run, like, the longest we got was like Mass Effect, with like three, three yeah. games in a row. Like most think Western it. games tend to be done as trilogies, right? Like, I feel like yeah, it has to come a... to like RPGs, though. Like probably quite a few similar to this game here, Japanese series, is where they're just very yeah. continuous, long, ongoing. But I wouldn't be able. But to But even give quite you a lot of the, you know, the the, uh, you know, I can only speak from a mainstream JRPG kind of sentiment. But like, obviously, Final Fantasy is it doesn't really have any um, continuation yeah. aside yeah. from the odd moment and dragon quest i think is is similar okay. and then obviously the xenoblade series has like shared bits mm. but i think you can you can play xenoblade chronicles 2 without having played one like they do yeah. even though they are linked they do work yeah yeah like personas absolutely different what about ease are ease all different i have no, no i couldn't tell you game. i'm afraid you're getting out know. of my yeah. we're out of the wheelhouse but thank you william for that knowledge it's a good one. If anyone ever asks that question, we can go, what about the Trails or Kazeki series <laughs> from, uh, from Japan? There you go. Matt, what have we got? This one is from Matthew Jones, not our Not, not Matthew our Matthew Jones. Jones. No, no, yeah. Um, good morning. Listening to your latest podcast and stopped to shoot over an email about what I played over Christmas. In October, I bought my 14-year-old Elden Ring for his birthday. Legend. He played for an Played for an hour or so, but decided it wasn't for him. I'd heard good things, but after p- trying Bloodborne when it was on PS Plus years ago and deleting it after dying to the first enemy, I wasn't sure if it would be for me either. Then it came on sale on the Xbox Store, so since I hadn't bought myself a game all year, because he sticks to Game Pass, uh, I decided to try it for myself. What a game. 
I'm all in now. I think about it all the time and even had a dream about it. <laughs> I decided to go for a mage build, which I never do in games, and I'm having a wonderful time. Plus, after my son saw me playing, he's given it another go, and he now agrees that it's incredible. He has gone for a strength and dex build, um, and we often call each other over to show how to show off the gear that we're using, Aww. the ashes and summons that we found, and the bosses that we're fighting. I'm level 95 after 50 hours and have just reached the capital city. He's 115 after 70 hours and is in crumbling Faramazula. Um, we love watching each other fight bosses and go through areas. It's really interesting watching how different builds find different areas easier or harder. And he has seen me take on some bosses without take some bosses down without taking a hit, which he struggled on for hours and vice versa. I bought him Ragnarok for Christmas and he hasn't even taken it out the box. <laughs> Elden Ring is now his favourite game ever and as someone who has gamed for the last 30 years, I can't think of anything that has got me so invested either. Game of the year, <laughs> game of all time more like, from Matt. Okay. It's a good game, isn't it? Couldn't have said that, it sounds like a lovely, that sounds like a lovely time. Yeah, that's, that does. that's quite adorable. I love that. I uh, obviously don't have a son to share such wonderful <laughs> times with, but um, absolutely understand that kind of like uh, it's been a very long time since something has wormed into my head in the mm. same way that Elden Ring did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's an exceptional game, isn't it? I, we could do it some DLC. Why haven't we heard about that yet? Oh, you, you'd on? think like come on, it's good. we're almost twelve months in now. Come, yeah. come on, Miyazaki. Come on. <laughs> We um we me and Matt I think we both tried the arena stuff they put out oh, yeah. like a couple months go? ago. Uh, got battered within <laughs> two minutes. I uh <laughs> like so my bad. entire character is like I don't really do PvP like um when I'm playing it co-op like obviously you can't prevent people from invading and normally me and my partner are good enough at kind of like fending off an invader mm. but actually fucking going into the gladiator arena yeah. to smack like those people have built characters around exactly. the concept of killing other players i just <laughs> people just throwing magical rocks at me and i couldn't even, i literally could not i've got a dex but i couldn't get close i don't have any range so I, I, just, I had someone that had just got like two of the whips that are like razor petals of metal all the way down like a whip and he just came at me and it was like swinging them around like some mental Indiana Jones kind of character. I could have been Matt Easton, just, to be fair. He loves uh, those I know he. Lo- I know he does like the the whips, but no, I I stand absolutely fucking no. Not against <laughs> when there's three of them together. Nah, Jesus nah, Christ! Never again. No intention of heading back into that arena. Um, I've got one more email here from Stu Davis. It says, "Hey guys, long time listener, first time writer, and all that guff." I've just finished watching 1899 after Loving Dark, and even though it was a slow start, I thought it was great. It seemed to be in the top 10 watched on Netflix for ages, but I see recently that it's been cancelled. Hopefully someone else picks it up as there's so much left to resolve. What were your thoughts on 1899, and are there any other series that got cancelled early that you'd like to see picked up by someone else? So i still halfway through 1899, and I've now lost all desire to finish it, because I know yeah. that mystery's mm-hmm. not going to be resolved, and the whole point of, well, the whole point of Dark was multi-seasons of mystery Well, this building. was supposed to be three seasons as well, and yeah. very much ends on a, everything you thought was real is something <laughs> completely different than you could ever have yep. conceived it for. Mm. Um, and Would you still recommend I finish? Is it worth watching no. season one knowing? No, I don't think so. Also, That's it's tragic. kind of like, you know, um, I unfortunately didn't like 1899 as much as Stu did i thought it was fine but for something to be fine from the creators of what i think is in like the top five television shows ever made Mm. um 
I um like I was reasonably disappointed by 1899. I don't think it's got anywhere near of the interesting character depth that Dark has, uh, and its central mystery is is cool, but yeah. not. It is annoying though. If you're commissioning that commission commissioning, sorry, that show, knowing what they made before, yeah. mm-hmm. knowing they've probably got a solid three season plan like all laid out, yeah. and, and you're also, not letting them make it. As Stu <laughs> says, seemed to be like it was in that top ten watched on Netflix, yeah. particularly at least in the UK for a long time. Um, yeah, I don't know what metrics yeah. they use sometimes mm. to work out what's worth making, what isn't. Yeah, the one like, thing I obviously won't say what happens at the end for anybody that does want to go through it because it does have a very interesting. Like, it was clearly going somewhere interesting, hmm. but what I will say is, is there's a load of numbers that you discover at the end of the show. And I was like, I got my calculator out and I got really excited because I was like, these numbers are going to add up to 1899. And it's going to be a big <laughs> reveal that 1899 <laughs> isn't to do with the year that the show's set in. It's yeah. to do with this number. And it didn't. It just <laughs> didn't. <laughs> oh, Amazing. Man. You thought it was some sort of revelation. Um, but yeah, are there any, like, I saw this going around on Twitter actually this week. Any shows that you, th- you know, got cancelled too early? My go to is always Freaks and Geeks. I, yeah, I you couldn't bring good. it back now just because mm-hmm. every mm-hmm. all the teenagers and that are now like forty years old. But yeah. um, that was very good. Another one for me, which I know people didn't love, was Vinyl. I don't know if anyone watched Vinyl. It was no. basically um, the creators of Bulwark Empire's mm-hmm. new show. It was set in the seventies, and it was about the music industry. Basically, um, I, I really enjoyed it. It definitely wasn't as good as Bulwark Empire, and it definitely. You know, I can see why people didn't love it, but it, mm. it was something for me, and it just it had one season and was done, which I thought was a bit of a shame. But yeah. my, mine's the absolute fucking nerd go to. Is it Firefly? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And the thing <laughs> is, is really like, that good. I fucking love Firefly, <laughs> and the thing is, is it's a case of like, you know, TV has changed a lot since Firefly was on. So mm. ultimately, I think if Jesse, if you were to sit down and watch Firefly now, you might just think like, what's what's the the noise about yeah. but at the time it was kind of like i still do think that in many ways it's you know i know that we don't talk about him so much these days but at the time like it was i think one of joss whedon's best pieces of work probably not as important as kind of the message that buffy carried but mm. like a phenomenal kind of examination of what it's like to be kind of like on the losing side of a war even though that losing side has got weird, like slight Confederate vibes, even though they're not the Confederate. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I have ultimately kind of like made my piece, and I think it almost works really well as just like a mini series that got like a film to cap it off. Um, but you know, go back, you know, fifteen years to when I was mm-hmm. a lot younger, I I would have been crying out for <laughs> a second season, third season of Firefly. Yeah, the only the only time that's really happened to me, and this is probably like a pretty basic boy answer is sense eight <laughs> um because i was i was really into that show and then it ended up getting cancelled and i was quite miffed about that but then didn't they, they make like a second series to cap it off they though? didn't make a second series they sort of made like a sort of tv special which i think was like maybe right. two hours long just to wrap it all up like maybe mm-hmm. a year or an, and a bit after it got cancelled, but that's really the only time. I'm not sure I've ever watched a show that has got cancelled and then felt absolutely devastated. Another one, one for me recently is Mindhunter, but I just still I still hold out hope we will get more of that. I don't I don't consider it cancelled. I didn't realise it was actually fully cancelled. I don't know if it ever has officially been. It's just they've it's, never made another one. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think it's partly Finch's off making other mm. things but mm. i think like he if he wanted to do it he'd want to do it his way and obviously netflix you know that would cost off quite a bit of money and time so uh 
yeah. I'm hopeful we'll get more Mindhunter one day. Hmm. Who knows? Let us know what shows you think got cancelled too soon. IGN on Squeaky Feedback at IGN dot com. Uh, well, I suppose we've got to have some Last of Us music, haven't we? I That's think what we've got to listen to. This is the clear answer, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It just clicks. Um, right. This was lovely. I'm going to... I'm going to go now. Cool. I suppose you probably will as well. No. Be weird if you carried on without me. But feel free. But I'm going to say goodbye. So bye. 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 <laughs>It's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues, and it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly, but don't worry. I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.